587, October 2021. Hello, everybody. It's the incomparable Halloween party. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and I welcome into the spooky manner of the incomparable these wonderful guests. We're going to sit back and talk about a couple of movies involving Frankensteins. Uh, multiple Frankensteins. Or is it pronounced Frankenstein? You be the judge. Uh, this is also officially, since we're going back in time in this manor, mansion, whatever it is, to 1948, and then uh, coming up to the present day in 1974, uh, <laughs> right? That's basically today. Uh, our, uh, it's an old movie club. Movie club! Rattling Thank chains, you. rattling chains. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, oh, spooky movie, old club movie, old spooky. Ooh. That old man is really old. <laughs> He's really old, but and also frightened for his life because it, because of the cobwebs and the skeletons. Ooh. He knows he will be a skeleton soon. It, uh, Philip Michaels is here because, of course, old movie club. Hi, Phil. Jason, I, I think you're confused. Frankenstein is the doctor. I am the monster. <laughs> well, we knew that. Uh, that's that's fair. That's fair. Shelly Brisbane is here because we're watching black and white movies. Hi, Shelly. That's Shirley Brisbane-steen to you. <laughs> Thank you. Monty Ashley joins us. Hello. Fire bad. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> David J. Lore has been a very bad boy, but we've allowed him on this episode anyway. Hi, David. No, no, it's Abby, Abby something. <laughs> yeah, Abby and Costello. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Dr. Drang joins us from mysterious locations, his own spooky manner, perhaps. <laughs> Hello, Dr. Drang. It's Dr. Froderick Drong. <laughs> Ooh, is that canon? Is that officially? <laughs> wow. We've learned something here. Uh, Steve Lutz is also, yes, this is a big party, people. Steve Lutz is also here for the Halloween party. Hi, Steve. Oh, Jason. Last night, I went through another of my horrible experiences. <laughs> <laughs> and Moises Chuyan is also here. Hi, Moises. It's true, Jason. The incomparable was my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> we are here to talk about two movies that are going to get you in the Halloween spirit um, like none other. The Frankensteins. Uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. The titular Frankenstein, yes. But do and, they? Not really. And Well, yeah, do they? And young Frankenstein. So two, the two classic Frankensteins. And Phil, you... You suggested these two. Yep. And I, after watching, before watching them, I, I thought, ah, Frankenstein. That's what <laughs> these movies have in common, because it's in the title. After watching the movies, I thought, oh, these are both movies that you expect to be one thing mm-hmm. and funny. are kind of also a different thing. I think, Not I think they funny. have. I see what they're thinking. Exactly. I think you can I see shut got that those, stuff down right now. They've <laughs> got those things in common. That, well, I mean, I mean, we'll we'll go into the two movies. But what I was struck by about Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein is that I thought it was going to be a much more madcap, uh, Marx Brothersy, zany romp with uh, wacky monsters in the background, and instead it is sort of. A monster movie with jokes. Yep. Which is which is fine. I'm nothing wrong with it, but it's it was more monster movie than I thought it was going to be. And Young Frankenstein, honestly, given the fact that it has been quoted incessantly to me since I was four years old, <laughs> I expected to be a zany madcap Mel Brooks farce. 
and it is, but also it's kind of a monster movie. So I was fascinated by these two selections. Is that what you were going for? Absolutely, verbatim. Yeah, no, um, <laughs> basically. Uh, Moving on. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. I picked these because I like um, I like the concept of spooky movies at Halloween, but I hate horror movies. Actually, it's my least favorite genre. Um, so I tend to, to skew to comedy horror more comedy but and um, and the reason i pick these um two in particular is because it's basically let's take old uh universal monster movies and uh and do things to them and that and celebrate yeah. them sort of yeah, yeah, pretty sort of. much although yeah. um with abbott and costello meet frankenstein i think it was a a naked attempt by the studio to uh well abbott and costello it's a cash grab yeah Abbott and Costello are no longer popular, and monster movies are no longer popular. Let's try wringing one last bit of cash out of this. And it oh, worked. And it, it worked, and then they was. made up a whole bunch more, which were increasingly terrible. It, as you say, this is the first and the best of them all. We, we got all these monster con- costumes lying around, so there you The go. Frankenstein movies had gotten, like... They had their own dark universe back then with House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula. They had Frankenstein, Wolfman, and Dracula in all th- all three of them in the movies. But I think Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein takes the monsters more seriously than they does in either House of Frankenstein huh. or House yeah. of Dracula. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, this is by the way, if you're if uh you're wondering, um Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein probably should be called something like Abbott and Costello meet the Monster Squad. <laughs> yes, meet Dracula, who has a plan involving Frankenstein—a mm-hmm. very vague and unexplained plan involving Frankenstein. Abbott and Costello <laughs> and the Wolfman versus Dracula and also Frankenstein. Yes. I think that's basically but what. But no the title space is. monster, sadly. Dawn of Monsterverse. Frankenstein is also present. Yeah, <laughs> frankly, I think this could have used a space monster. <laughs> Frankenstein's agent just wasn't doing such a good job. Well, he, Frankenstein always has a problem as a character in his in movies named after him. He is he's often uh, left out or has the the less good role. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah. I mean, really, that's all. Yeah. He, this is one of the few movies where the title has Frankenstein and there isn't a doctor that you can pretend they're talking about. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good point. yeah. Yes. Maybe Dracula. Is Dracula the Frankenstein <laughs> well, in this? Dracula. He is impersonating a doctor. That's his cover. He is I and and Bela is a doctor or impersonating a doctor in many movies. So I just are, it's assumed. I, I it's, think it's Lejos is actually Romanian for Frankenstein. So that's oh <laughs> yeah, there we go. You have uh, Sandra. Sandra's the doctor. Does it does it blow your mind that a woman can be a doctor, fellas? Mm. Mm? No, but she's not Doctor Frankenstein. No. The thing is that no. <laughs> yeah. And and there are some there are some who would say that you know with what sixteen years experience on him, uh, Bella does a better job as Dracula in this than he does in the original Dracula. He's a better actor by then. So Abbott and Castell meets Frankenstein is a story about uh, two ingrates who work at a uh, ingrates. A... What do they have to be grateful for? They have a terrible job. <laughs> One of them works sixteen hours a day because he belongs to hours two a day. unions. They're inept. They're they're, they're inept. They're they're. they're... Yes, groups. it's Abbott and Costello, by the way. They, yeah. They're playing them, their 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 parts. A chick I mean, and Wilbur, and there is uh there is a, a a box or a couple of boxes that are there. They're supposed to go to the House of Horrors. There is a panicked phone call from London saying, "Whatever you do, don't deliver them to the House of Horrors." And of course, he says, "Hey, uh, I'm I'm here from the House of Horrors. Give me my boxes." 
and he takes the boxes away. And it turns out that the boxes have Dracula's coffin in it, and they have Dr. Frankenstein's monster in it. And the man calling them from London, by the way, is the Wolfman. <laughs> Who should have better things to do than than worry about Dracula and Frankenstein. Well, as, as Monty mentioned, I, I believe that, that, in a way, this is a, a sequel to the, the House of... Uh, uh, Frankenstein House of Dracula movies where like Wolfman mm-hmm. Wolfman and, and Dracula have a past I believe yes. oh, yeah. They, they're, yeah, but they're constantly fighting yeah but can we have that past because it wasn't wasn't Lyle Talbot cured in one of those movies yeah but so what he gets killed in nearly every movie and then they, they figure out a way to bring yeah. him back in the next movie okay. it's fine so, so yeah they, they're, they're loosey goosey with things like uh, who's dead and who's not and now one thing I never noticed, because I, I had seen this a number of times when I was little, and, you know, it starts out in London, and that's where Larry is, and he's calling, he's calling the, uh, the package place. The package place and the House of Horrors are in Florida, yes. which is a yes. strange place to set them. And the whole time they, they keep talking about going down into the basements and now we're in the basement. Ah, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Yeah, that, yeah. There are no basements in Florida. In Florida. Precisely. No. Well, there are no castles on islands either. Yeah. <laughs> so. That castle is on one of those giant hills you get in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think they were going for Florida just for the in, it just implicit horror of it. But you're right. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll go along with that. Yeah, and, and I'll say there, there are hills in Florida. It's one of the few things Tallahassee has. That's right. The spookiest state in the Union, Florida. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, ooh. I, I, I want to point out, just before we move on, um, the owner of the uh, House of Horrors, uh, Mr. McDougal. He, McGregor. He, he comes in this movie at about 90 miles per hour <laughs> and does not let up. He, he starts way up here and then realizes, oh, God, I've got to keep it up here for the entire uh, show. Because he just, he is shouty. He is. He, he outshouts Bud Abbott, and that's all Bud Abbott yeah. does. He's the one in the tone of an Abbott and Costello movie, and no one else is. Yeah, in, yeah, and Abbott and Costello aren't even doing that. Yeah. Right? which is yeah. one of the things I loved about this movie. <laughs> An understated Lou Costello performance is a rarity, and you get it. In Indeed, it here. is. I wanted to having I think never seen an Abbott and Costello performance outside of Who's on First. I wanted to say that. I actually appreciated them and saw why they were a good comedy team. There are a bunch of moments in this movie, though, that that um, especially early on, where I felt like they were trying really hard to do Marx Brothers. Yes, but could mm-hmm. only keep they could only keep it up for about thirty seconds, and then they were too tired to continue. <laughs> but there were those moments where I'm like, "Ooh, is are we doing this now? Oh, I guess we're done with that part now." <laughs> uh, but still, I, appreci- well, I appreciate. There's only two them. of them. You can't keep it up as long. You as really it It's true. They're, I know they're not as many. There are two thirds of a full allotment of stooges in this film, and I don't know <laughs> if, that's, if that's normally yeah. their their state of being. But basically, their act in this is. One guy capers around and the other guy yells at him. Just imagine that Larry is the Wolfman. Larry is the Wolfman. <laughs> Granted, Costello is extremely good at capering. He is an expert caperer. And, and the yelling guy is fine at yelling. But to be honest, yelling is not that specialized a skill. In a non-monster Abbott and Costello movie, it would be exactly the same, except there would be three spots where the movie would stop down completely for a five-minute vaudeville routine. Yes. yes. Okay. So this yes. is not yes. unusual for them in, in terms. No, of not at all. No. Okay. Got no. it. Well, it's unusually good. It's it is better than usual, and and it's not as frenetic. So you get the set pieces, 
um at the at the the haunted mansion or whatever yes. it is the house of <laughs> horrors where it's you know the unpacking boxes and like there's a, there's a thing that i really enjoyed that is the the dracula coffin and it's very much like there's oh, there's a hand in there oh and it's like oh no no he's fine and then and then they finally open it up and dracula at that point has has gotten up and left and he's like see there's nothing in here and he's like oh but there was and i i, I enjoyed all of that because right it's the two guys uh, the one who doesn't believe him and the other one who's sure that he's seen Dracula and and he has seen Dracula because Dracula is in this movie, too, which I, I had that moment of like, really? Dracula's coffin? OK, let's see what happens. <laughs> and the answer is that Dracula poses as a as a suave doctor and uh, but is actually trying to uh, what are they trying to steal Lou Costello's brain because he's such a simpleton. Right. That it'll be easily controlled when they insert it into Frankenstein's monster. Exactly. The, the monster the is plot. running out of that's energy need and needs a new brain. And the problem with the earlier Frankenstein monsters is that you you put too good a brain in them. So now get just get a get a big dumb guy and get his brain in there and and then the monster will do our bidding and and there you go. Also, all the ladies in the movie love Costello. Ah, but not really. <laughs> but not really. Yeah. Ladies love cool Costello. That's that's something that is yeah. well known. Yep, because the, there's like, let's see, who do we have? We have the lady who actually is working with Dracula. Yes, that's, that's his girlfriend. There is the lady who is from the like postal inspectors or whoever, the insurance company. But she's yeah. decided her best way to figure out what's going on for the insurance for the Dracula coffin is to also pretend to be interested in Luke Costello. Again, it is... Uh, ridiculous, but but I kind of enjoyed how it just like keeps on piling on. I'm like, really? Uh, okay, all right, another one. There they go. And and it's fun how Abbott keeps keeps going. What is wrong with these women? What, well, that, what that, is, that is the thing. It gives Abbott a chance he's to our, do a, a he's slow our proxy. Burn, yes. yeah. Why don't they want to be with me, a jerk who yells all the time? <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Nice tie though on Bud. He's got a great tie. Whereas Costello is charming and sweet, and so it's yeah, it's true. Kind of yeah. Well, that's their dynamic, a mean, mean yelling guy and uh, and nice nice but kind of dumb guy. Um and and then there there are shenanigans. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I I I can't recap the, it, the yeah, plot it, of this Yeah, it's a ridiculous. I I'll t- They I'll, run around a lot. Have you seen a Scooby-Doo episode? Imagine that without Yeah, it's, it's, it's they're basically capering. a Scooby-Doo. Uh, I, it, I think I've seen a Scooby-Doo episode with Abbott and Costello now that you mentioned it. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Wolfman flies over from England and uh, and shows up because he's gonna he's gonna stop uh, Dracula. We, we should say in a plane. Yeah, it's not a flying in wolf a plane. Man. I, I didn't know that we needed to make that clear, but probably ah. so. No. Ah. He's so lucky that he didn't get caught between the moon and New York City. That would have been crazy, but it would have been true. I, I guess he didn't take <laughs> yeah. the red eye. So, well, I want to say that this movie takes the monsters so seriously that, like you said, it's got Bella Lugosi as Dracula. It's got Lon Chaney as the Wolfman. Yeah. It's got Glenn Strange as the monster. He had been the monster in House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula. For the very dumb uh, Invisible Man joke at the end, it's got Vincent Price. Right. How dare you on that Invisible Man joke? I that like the Invisible like Man joke. Was he sitting in the boat the whole movie? Yes, was he was. Yes. yes. Okay. Why wouldn't he be? Yes. What, what else you got to do was. as Invisible Man? And he's just sitting there while the monster's throwing barrels sort of near mm-hmm. the boat he's probably ducking you can't tell because by then the joke is clear they've thrown so many other things and people in this movie he was it makes perfect sense he was sitting in the boat the whole time but what we're missing is that he was sitting in the boat entirely nude the entire time Ooh. Mm-hmm. So hey. he had an invisible raft okay <laughs> 
I, I like that this movie takes the monsters so seriously. And, and this is where I think that makes this a excellent Frankenstein movie. It has people scared of Frankenstein. Yes. In a normal Frankenstein movie, you're kind of hanging out with Frankenstein and his doctor or something. But here you actually get to see two complete cowards just terrified every second that they see him. And I think that really makes him a scary thing, which by the time of House of Dracula, he was not. Monty, I like how you said Frankenstein and his doctor <laughs> instead of sort of Dr. Frankenstein and his monster. Because it calls to mind that Frankenstein's got, you know, some arch problems and has got to has to <laughs> see the podiatrist a little bit. I don't know. It's a weird no, movie. It really is. It, it, it's basically an excuse to go from one set piece to the next yeah. uh, with the with the thinnest of gossamer uh, bridges <laughs> linking the, the set pieces. And occasionally someone has to stop and explain the plot. And you go, oh, yeah, OK, now we're going to now we're going to see uh, uh, more physical comedy from uh, from uh, Costello, where he, he he doesn't realize that he's sitting on Frankenstein's lap until he pats a big dead hand. Right. Thinks that the hand is his hand, and then realizes mm-hmm. it's not his hand. Yeah. No, was, yeah, and Glenn Strange starts to starts to laugh during that scene. Yes, he does. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are some ni- nice bits of business in this in this movie that are strung together. But one of the things that I noticed about the writing of it, it it's written almost like a like a radio play, in that. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, here are the boats. Well, yeah, yes, we see. Oh, let's go. Let's go back into the cave. And oh, there's there's the cave. Let's go back to the castle. We should go back. Oh, they're all they're expl- a lot of times when they're not doing a bit of comedic business, they are explaining the plot because we are too dumb to to figure it out. <laughs> Lou reads the you know the legend of of Dracula and the legend of Frankenstein because the people who are going to see this movie probably can't read. Uh, is, is undoubtedly what was thought. So there's there's a lot of lot more explanation in this movie than I remembered. I have not seen this movie since probably 1972 or or thereabouts. Sometime when I was 12 or 13 years old, I would have seen it on Creature Features um, mm. as a as a as a break from the really scary movies, which are not scary either uh, from Universal. <laughs> uh, but it's I, I was uh, I, I'm cutting to the chase here i i was surprised at how well it held up i mean i did like it when i was a kid i was not disappointed in my, watching this movie i thought it was perfectly fine yeah i kind of expected to hate it because i i'm sure i've seen it at some point a long time ago i'm not particularly an abbott and Costello fan and so once i figured out that yeah they're doing physical comedy but they're not doing pratfalls and yelling too much i was like all right i'm into this and i enjoyed seeing Bella Lugosi, I enjoyed Lon Chaney Jr. being terrible as an actor. Oh, my God. Uh, all <laughs> oh that my stuff God. is fun. He's very concerned. Keep He's on the makeup, concerned. man. Just keep the makeup on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing that I enjoy uh, the most about this is that as as much as Abbott and Costello are known for, you know, uh, the linguistic ledger domain of things like uh, who's on first and physical comedy and pratfalls and that sort of thing. There's a lot of situational contextual comedy here that's baked into, as as the good doctor was saying, um, the explaining, explaining, explaining that, that happens at various points of the plot. Because uh, better than the Justice League movie or Batman v Superman did, uh, they're introducing <laughs> a bunch of franchise characters that we need some context for. And so much of the humor is 
is drawn from the the fact that we should be scared of this character and that character for this reason or that reason, though apparently Frankenstein's monster um, can be very summarily defeated by a strategically placed bed, um, which which was not in, in the reading uh, that I was aware of uh, initially. <laughs> um, but the other interesting thing is, as, as we have so many different places that we that we are guided to and i guess the cave and the this and the that um it it really uh, as we said earlier kind of dips back into the horror tropes of showing us the spooky mansion and getting us our bearings so that when things start moving quickly we have context for where these different locations are um so that as they are trying to escape we know where they're trying to escape from and we're starting to think ahead of oh but then there's this ahead of them and and that sort of thing um one of the things that I find historically funny about this is we mentioned the Invisible Man gag. Um, when they made the cash-in sequel to this, they didn't make Meet the Invisible Man. They made Meet the Killer Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they did the Invisible Man one after that. And um, if if you liked this one and you feel like this one held up pretty well, don't bother watching any of the other ones. Nope. That's true. <laughs> nope. Yeah, it's like going into the Thin Man uh, after the yeah. first one. You don't don't do that. I I would say the second Thin Man's good, yeah. but I take your point. I've yeah. seen Meet the Mummy and Meet um, uh, Jekyll and Hyde. Meet Jekyll and Hyde isn't that bad. It's yeah, it's got. Um, I think it, that most, might be the mostly one I've because seen. you I've get to watch Bor- you get to watch Boris Karloff play Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it, that's worth it. That's but it, the, the, this one is um, an actual good movie, I think, and the yeah. others are are not. Yeah. This movie is a miracle that it is this good. Yeah, I, I was going to say I don't I don't think it's a great movie by any stretch of the imagination. But what I think I like about it is that it is the thing I said earlier that surprised me about it is I think it believes that it's a monster movie enough to make it work, and that if it was just a series of comedy sketches with wacky Frankenstein's running around in the background. I, I can imagine that movie and imagine how that movie would be interminable. Whereas this this movie, what I'm really saying is this movie cares enough about the genre of the monster movie to place Abbott and Costello inside it without them destroying it. Right. And I'm okay yeah. with that. I think that that maybe is the secret to what success it has. I, I, I mentioned at the outset that horror movies are my least favorite genre, but my, my second is comedy westerns. Because so many comedy westerns are based around the premise that westerns are stupid. We hate yeah. west, and and this movie does not make that mistake with horror movies. They they, as you say, they put it in a monster movie, and it's a very serious monster movie with two very silly men in it. And I yeah. think that's why it works. I watched this twice, as per usual, and mm-hmm. the first time I watched, uh, I didn't like it much at all. Uh, I was expecting a, a different kind of comedy. The funny kind, <laughs> but uh, on the rewatch, I softened on it a bit. It's it's sweet and it's harmless, and I I can't stay mad at it. Um, you have to you have to. I think there there are a few good gags. Abin Costello just didn't do a whole lot for me in general, but they they do get a couple of good bits in. Like for instance, uh, you mentioned the scene where, for instance, um, Bud Abbott keeps walking out of the room, and the coffin keeps opening, and. There's five minutes of Lou Costello yelling, chick, chick, over and over again. And and that just irritated the hell out of me on the first go round. The second time around, I, I, I tried to watch it with the eyes of somebody watching it in 48. And from that viewpoint, 
it's not that bad. I mean, this stuff wasn't wasn't this corny at the time. Three's Company hadn't even been invented yet, so you didn't find yourself shouting, "This is what we fought the war for." <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's fine. I, I do think it's held up well. You know, the the other problem is the Universal monsters never did much for me. So ah, uh, you know, yeah, see, there's, well, yeah. But but I can absolutely envision you know being a young kid in '48 and being fully into Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolfman and maybe even being into Abbott and Costello a little bit and going to see this and being totally served by it. It just, for me personally, didn't have much to offer. Steve, Steve, I, I thought you were just going to stop it. I could have Im- imagined myself being a child in 1948. I could, I could imagine. <laughs> and I was interested in that movie Who specifically, that time have. travel adventure. <laughs> sure. I will say I did enjoy the scene where Bud Abbott yells, untie the boat four different times in the same voice. (laughs) (laughs) Untie it already. Untie the boat. I I think that it is a good movie for kids, though. Uh, Children of all ages, but kids especially. My daughter loves this movie. And um, uh, because I I think it gives them a chance to be brave in a monster Uh, movie and not mm -hmm. there are these monsters running around. But and while they're treated as as real monsters they're not really that scary and so kids can watch it and and kind of laugh at the monsters and right and, and the big and, dummies are all scared and so that yeah. makes you feel braver by comparison yeah. exactly so yeah, yeah I, I think i think um i think one of the reasons it does hold up is because it's a it's it's one of those movies you can watch with your kids and uh they enjoy it and uh unless you've got a black heart like steve you'll enjoy bits and <laughs> bobs of it too I mean, that's that's how I came at it, because when I was a child, we had WTOG Channel 44, Tampa St. Pete, and every Sunday morning, without fail, was a Shirley Temple movie, an Abbott and Costello movie, and then a double feature on some kind of theme. And so they rotated through the entire Abbott and Costello catalog. I must have seen all of them about three times at least. And this was my introduction to the classic Universal monsters, I never, I never saw Dracula or Frankenstein until a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, and, keep in mind that those original Universal monster movies—they're like 17 years in the rearview mirror at this that's point. Right. I mean, yes, yeah. they keep they kept making monster movies. They kept bringing Boris and uh, uh, Lugosi and Lon Chaney Jr. and folks like that back. But the kids who are watching this movie are not going, "Oh yeah, I remember when I saw Dracula." They don't remember. Yeah. But and the other thing I'll say is that. Apropos of what David is talking about, I mean, they they made so many series of movies, but both series and just individual movies, that were, if you've thought about them critically, they really are kids' movies, mm-hmm. but they're not made, they're not children's movies, right? So they're made to go to the the family goes to the matinee and Saturday afternoon to get in out of the heat or whatever, and so the kids can watch them, but the parents can laugh along because maybe they remember Dracula and the Wolfman and. Yeah. And and this is going to be in a in a run of you know a couple of cartoons, a newsreel, maybe yeah. a serial or two. One of these movies, another decent B movie. You know, you're you're there for the day. You enjoy the day in the air conditioning. Now, what I'll say about this as a, a precursor of mashing together franchises to come is that this is a great example of how to do it well. And there there are lessons that are still there to be learned in this movie where, um, you know, if they're talking about mashing up the Jurassic Park and Fast and Furious franchises, oh I'm sure there's a way to make that work. I'm, I, Yeah, I, I mean, at least they're going to find a way to make it work. Um, but Velociraptor I, on a motorcycle. There, there you done. go. Velociraptor <laughs> on a motorcycle, I'm in. 
but yeah, I, the, the thing that, that fundamentally works the best about this is that if you are a David Lore who doesn't know anything about the classic horror movies, uh, then, then you, you can be introduced to these characters by this movie. Um, and even, even a David Lore, um, could, uh, could, could grasp what is so great about these monsters. What does Dracula need with a Frankenstein anyway? <laughs> That's a super good question. Because Dracula is rather useless about 12 hours of the day. Yeah, he needs protection. Like Batman. He he needs some muscle. Uh, Can I tell a quick story about the ring in this movie? Great. The one that jumpstarts cars? Yeah. Uh, Dracula has a ring that, for some reason, restarts Frankenstein. There's no explanation for this. And it has the crest of Dracula on it. This ring was originally created for House of Frankenstein, and it was worn by Lon Chaney. Then it was worn by John Carradine in House of Dracula. Yay! He's Dracula in that. It's I can't believe terrible, we didn't watch terrible John movie. Carradine in a Dra- <laughs> Anyway, the, next year. Next year. Bella Lugosi kept it, and he gave it to Forrest J. Ackerman. And he was the super fan who created the magazine Famous Monsters of Filmland, which kind of codified the importance of the Universal Monsters for a later generation. My generation. They made duplicates of Forrest J. Ackerman's ring, and my girlfriend has one and wears it everywhere we go. Oh, so she can, if there's a Frankenstein, she can wake it up like immediately, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she has Dracula's ring. You never know. Good to know. My sense on the ring on the rewatch was that he was, that the ring was not producing that electricity. He was (laughs) putting the ring down by the bolts to see if there was still electricity in Frankenstein. (laughs) Okay. So that they were arcing from the bolts to the ring, not the other way around. That but then is, he puts them a... on Frankenstein's eyes for some reason, which is weird because that doesn't appear to do anything. And also, those eyes don't open ever. So I'm not sure what the point of that was. Yeah, Frankenstein was blinded in House of Frankenstein, which is why he has his arms stretched in front of him all the time. Didn't he do that in because the first one, too? That's... No, he did not. There's okay. lots of things that are not in the first movie. Okay, I'm talk taking about back everything I said and... about them telegraphing things properly because I now realize that I missed all kinds of things. During Young Frankenstein, I'm going to say some other stuff that was not in the original <laughs> Frankenstein. I also appreciate this movie because, frankly, film wasn't Abbott and Costello's medium, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. to, to put it kindly. Ironically and, enough. Yeah, and it's one of the... Um, it, 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 it's one of the few, uh, apart from like films of them doing uh, Who's on First or Niagara Falls or what have you, it, it's it's one of the few instances where you can watch them do their thing and sort of sort of get why they were extremely popular back in the day. All right, let me take a brief break from our special spooky Halloween episode to tell you about our spooky sponsor. Did you know? that people are afraid of skeletons, but we all have skeletons on our inside. We're all skeletons, really. Is that spooky? How about this? I want to tell you about life insurance. They're always tasks you want to put off because they're not nice to think about. But what better time than Halloween to talk about getting things in order? That's right. This is why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. Is it, is it better with a spooky voice? I don't even know. Why not pay a little bit every month and protect your loved ones? If you're asking yourself this question, choose Ladder. Ladder is 100% digital. No doctors, no needles, no paperwork when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. You just need a few minutes and a phone or laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you will find out instantly if you're approved. And if you prefer to talk to a human being... 
not a werewolf, not a Dracula. Uh, their team of licensed human agents doesn't work on commission, which is the scariest thing of all. Uh, people who work on commission don't have your best interests at heart. The people at Ladder have no commissions. They will help you out. They're not trying to upsell you. What they want to do is serve you. There are no hidden fees. Also scary. You can cancel anytime, get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days, and ladder policies are issued by insurers with long, proven histories of paying claims. They are rated A and A plus by AM Best. And finally, since life insurance costs more as you age, now is the time to cross it off your list. So go to ladderlife.com slash Snell today. That's my last name. To see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R Life dot com slash snell go there now ladderlife.com slash snell thank you to ladder for your spooky support of the incomparable and with that we'll move on to 1974's young frankenstein mel brooks uh gene wilder gene wilder had an idea it turned into a movie that he wrote with mel brooks and that mel brooks directed same year as blazing saddles and in fact um the reason why um, Mel Brooks is involved in this picture is because they were having trouble casting the um, the part of the the the, the kid, the Waco in, uh, kid, the Waco kid, and in, in Blazing Saddles, they they hired Gig Young, and then it turns out he was having the DTS on the first day of filming. Um, <laughs> they apocryphally they tried to get. They they Sorry. tried to get um, uh, Johnny Carson to do the part, and he was all, "Fellas, I I host a talk show. I don't act." <laughs> um, and finally, in desperation, he uh, Mel Brooks went to Gene Wilder, and Gene Wilder said, "Oh yeah, well I've been working on this uh, script about a uh, the the uh, Frankenstein parody. Um, if you make the movie, I'll come and be in your your little western parody." And he he kind of said that because he said Mel will never work on on someone else's material, <laughs> and. Yet he did, and now we have Young Frankenstein because of it. So similar to the Avon Costello movie, um, this movie pays homage to the Universal Monsters. It's shot in black and white, which, if you don't know, wasn't common in 1974. And it's got the credits at the beginning. I mean, it is is a loving uh, tribute to, and I guess, you know, it's, it's kidding, but it's also serious. In I, I sense a I, I sense a love of the Universal monster movies as they are making fun of them in a way that I again I think there's a respect for the genre that uh, I'm not saying Mel Brooks is the most respectful person in the world I'm just saying like you can lose the genre entirely and there are lots of parts of this movie where I'm like there are not enough jokes for mm-hmm. this to just be a comedy. Like I, I, maybe they just were like, we don't have enough jokes. Let's take it, let's take it more seriously, so that we have a plot to string this along with. But um, anyway, I was struck by that. There was a big joke shortage in the in the early to mid seventies. People Jeez, used to have... have to line up on odd numbered and even numbered days to get their jokes. It was terrible. Don't you dare blame this on Jimmy Carter. <laughs> this is gonna play. Good, good references, everybody. We're all talking about the same thing, but different jokes. That 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 was actually Gene Wilder's whole thing was that he wanted this to be a pitch perfect parody which meant taking it seriously yeah. too and i mean this this is a movie i have taught in classes i love this film and and part of it is because it is so excruciatingly pitch perfect i mean gene wilder said i i know you like to be in your in your movies mel you can't be in this right. because you will break you the fit. fourth wall 
you even if you don't mean to, yeah. you will do it. And um, and and that's also yeah. why it's in black and white. And why okay. I mean, they did this to be as to to look like it was. Yeah, about <laughs> Marty Feldman, who yeah. is <laughs> transcendently, he's incredibly funny. But yeah. Igor knows he's in a movie, and he knows yes. what movie he's in. Oh, yeah, in. he's talking oh, yeah. to the audience at various points during the movie. But but he he's doing it the way you would do it in a 30s movie. Movies of the time would talk to the audience. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the best thing about this movie for me is actually how true it is to the monster movies of the 30s and 40s. Yeah. Uh, down to the way, as you mentioned, Jason, that the way the credits are laid out, you've got oh. that long diagonal list of actors that takes up the whole screen. It's so great. And so much of it is right up front. And then uh, the use of shadow and fog to, to, you know, there's like these sweeping <laughs> shadows on these giant walls and it's it, it, fog in every corner of the outdoors and, and the trees are these wonderfully bent, very 30s uh, prop type trees. And the it's, literal it's lab set, which is amazing. Oh, which is the Frankenstein stuff, right? I mean, yeah, he got the, the original stuff from the guy who had it. And and you if you played that soundtrack and you'd say, oh, what 1930s movie is that from? It's, it, it is really well done. And it yeah. pays homage to not just the Frankenstein movies, but there's several beats from other universal horror movies. And it, you don't even have to be able to say, oh, that's from the old Dark House or that's from this other movie. You just, or if you've Black seen Cat them, or... the Black Cat, right, if, if that's one I was thinking of. If you've seen them, you're just like, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that I, so having never seen this movie before, only having Wait, it quoted what? to me incessantly. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yes, you should. I tell need the to take a story. moment. Uh, on, <laughs> no, you, <laughs> honestly, yeah. other than the, the producers, I went in in high school. I had friends who forced many Mel Brooks movies on me, and the only one that took was the producers. And I refused Young Frankenstein after being forced to watch Blazing Saddles in the History of the World. Oh well, um, that's, neither, I, that's neither totally of which I especially liked. I love the producers. I love it, but um, Young Frankenstein. I was like, you know, no. And also, everybody had had quoted all the jokes to me. All the punchlines had already been spoiled by yep. people not oh. delivering them in a professional manner because they were teenagers. So oh. I have I did not watch this movie until yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, I'm wow. with you that I think I have seen or heard every single scene in this movie, just not in this order. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, plus plus knowing enough about kind of other things from pop culture, like what I didn't have quoted to me, like The Princess Bride and a bunch of other things that by the time I'd seen it, it had been quoted to death. Um, I've seen in either the originals or the <laughs> the cartoons that riffed on the originals or the sitcoms that riffed on the originals. So you get that moment where the 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 crowd comes in, the, the mob with their torches, and it's like, how many times have I seen the angry mob with their torches? And it's funny because I it's like I know what the I know what it is, I know what they're doing, and it's and it's good. What I wanted to say though up front about this is the stuff that I didn't expect and that delighted me, especially in the early scene where we meet Gene Wilder as a professor of like neurophysiology at college who wants to be taken seriously and goes by Dr. Frankenstein because he <laughs> doesn't want to be reminded, despite the stupid student who's like, but what about your grandfather who, was a, who made a monster? Yeah, that um, student's a jerk. I uh, really, really couldn't jerk. understand a look of murder right in <laughs> yeah, front of his face. Room, buddy. He sure has a way with exposition, though. So, yeah. so. That's what I didn't expect is I, I like Gene Wilder. I've seen him in some stuff where he's great. Um, he is great in the producers, by the way. Um, but he he is at a, a level with that character that is so good and so modern in 
knowing what movie he's in, but also showing almost an exasperation that he's in that movie. And like the smart knowing asides that he throws out in the first, I guess, half hour of the movie and and his whole tone of voice is delightful. And in fact, I watched this movie and thought, I think maybe this was the movie they showed to the guys who were in Ghostbusters and said, you know, kind of like this, we're going to do a movie, but we want you to, we want you to be in the real movie, but also have a, like a lighter level. And I got a, I I, I thought it's not quite the same performance as like Bill Murray and Ghostbusters, but I got a little bit of the same kind of lightness from it. And I really appreciated the performance. So that was the thing that got me right away is I really like Gene Wilder and I think he's brilliant in this in striking exactly the right tone, because if he goes too far into Mel Brooks territory of too far, I think the whole movie may fall apart, but instead he's kind of delicate with it. And I really appreciated that it wasn't all just, and there's plenty of ridiculous broad humor here, but I don't know. Wilder grounds it and also does some subtle things. And like, honestly, in a Mel Brooks movie, sometimes giving me subtlety is like giving water to a guy who's, dying of thirst in the desert so uh, give me the subtlety a little bit every now and then just a little bit gene wilder please i I agree with all that i think he's also doing a great job of of uh channeling the manic uh the the, on the verge of mania that colin clive brought to the original role of of 100 there's a quaver in gene's voice oh it's so good this performance is genius i he's just an amazing performance it's that's what gene stands for it's genius wilder Um, the um yeah, there's that the the blue my blue blankie moment in the producers where right. it's the I'm hysterical, I'm hysterical <laughs> and I'm wet and I'm still hysterical and like that that oh, I have never seen anybody do that tone of voice like Gene Wilder and it is perfect for the mad scientist in Young Frankenstein. Perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. I think Wilder is is above and beyond and then just the everybody else in this movie, there's so many people that all by themselves would be the insane one in most movies. But yeah. all of this movie can contain all of them. And you could pick out, you know, you could talk about Marty Feldman if you didn't like him. I happen to enjoy him. Uh, but you could you could say, you know, one person did something that you didn't particularly like. But I think the movie uh, and the direction contains all of them in a way that just really works. Like there's nobody I don't enjoy watching on the screen in this movie. And Wilder does sort of hold them together, but not in sort of the stereotypical, uh, I'm the calm center. Cause he's not the calm center. He's calmer than, uh, Marty. He's calmer than Madeline Kahn, but he's still Gene Wilder and he's still insane. And his hair gets frizzier as the movie goes on. Yeah. It's true. That's why I like him at the beginning. Like like in Ghostbusters, right? You start out and it's like these these people are are professors. They're very serious. And then as the movie goes on, no. <laughs> no. The no. cast is so good that this last time I watched it, I was constantly surprised that Terry Gar was in it. Like over and over. <laughs> right? I was like, that's Terry yeah. Gar. That's why she's so good. Yeah, the acting here is is uniformly delightful. I think Terry Gar is so sweet and goofy. Marty Feldman is Marty Feldman, and I I, I happen to love him. <laughs> of course you do. Uh, Peter Boyle as the monster is fantastically hilarious. <laughs> yes, and great. even all of the bit players I think are uh, Cloris Leachman as Frau Blue. Wonderful Hackman. <laughs> Gene Hackman Hackman. is amazing. And I have to say. Uh, if you're Mel Brooks and you're making a movie and you want somebody to act like a complete maniac who makes no sense and is from another planet, 
Kenneth Mars. Kenneth Mars, Kenneth Mars, Mars is, is here. <laughs> because he's Franz Liebkind in The Producers, and I saw him here, and I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, yep, no, okay. Yep, Kenneth Mars. He's doing that he's, again. He's All right. He's doing a variation of it. <laughs> he's doing the Kenneth Mars role. Do you know why he had a wooden arm? Because it's from one of the uh, earlier Frankenstein movies. Yeah, it's from yeah. Son of Frankenstein, yeah. which is also where Igor was invented. Uh, that reference I didn't get. I did I did appreciate how Madeline Kahn's hair turns into the Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. As it yeah. goes. <laughs> that was amazing. That was yeah. a really nice I moment. had forgotten about that, and I saw it tonight, and I just was like, oh, that's so good. I wanted to pay off what I was going to say earlier. People think of Igor as essential to the Frankenstein story. He's not in Frankenstein. He, no. He's not in Bride of Frankenstein. He's in Son of Frankenstein, and it is, in fact, spelled Y-G-O-R there. I think it is because of young Frankenstein that people think Igor is an essential part of the Frankenstein story. Oh, right. the fir- the first Frankenstein movie has Fritz as the uh, Fritz. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and there are a lot of monster movies with the trope of the assistant. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you go Renfield. back to the... yeah. he's not, yeah. but I, but I I think the reason he's called Igor in Young Frankenstein is that Bela Lugosi's performance as Igor in Son of Frankenstein had kind of taken over for for Fritz. Yeah. For and Fritz, I think people yeah. people had completely Igor is such a great name too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for a henchman, you know. So he he had taken over. I think Son of Frankenstein is what this movie is based on. Because it has it starts with the son of Dr. Frankenstein, the descendant returning to Transylvania. Right. Which is where Dracula's from and not Frankenstein, but it's fine. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's no, okay. Well, actually, the thing that bothers me and takes me out of the picture is he Monsters. takes a train there from America. What the <laughs> hell? I know. Yeah. I was like, what, what did I miss? That he. <laughs> that is a bit that Even I really like. Uh, that's that's one of my favorite. Transylvania. Silly he needs so to take good. a train yes. so he can ask if this is the Transylvania station. Transylvania station. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. D- did you like those '40s song references? I mean, remember this is this is '74, so that song is like 35, 40 years old at that point. It's weird and that the vaudeville jokes are in this and not in the movie made with actual <laughs> vaudeville. <laughs> it's it's true. It's it's hilarious. And, and not only are there there are things in Young Frankenstein that don't come from the original Frankenstein film or the offshoot Frankenstein films that don't have Abbott and Costello in them, but there is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein stuff in this movie. Oh yeah! Oh yes! That, that well, the giant door knocker, for instance. Yeah, precisely. Yes. <laughs> well, directly. Copied. Well, uh, the scene when they're taking when they've stolen the body and they they come across the policeman and they've got to pretend. Yeah, the that hand. They yeah, are the hand is, the, the fake just, hand is totally yeah. the same joke. It's 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 the it's an Abbott and Costello joke. In the same way that there are el- there's in the same way that there are elements of this film that are based on the way that. Frankenstein had grown in the popular imagination. It goes back to what David was saying about Bela Lugosi's performance as Dracula in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, where it was itself an outgrowth of the way that people, uh, the way that that character grew in the popular imagination and the way that kids impersonated Dracula on the, on the, on the playground. And it's interesting seeing, seeing the, the, the heritage as, uh, as these different monster movies are kind of each other's forebears and there's stuff that we, some of us, uh, you know, attribute to Young Frankenstein that goes back to Abbott and Costello, go to House of Frankenstein, go back to the original movie, and stuff that we imagine being from the original movie that wasn't there in the first place. And and there's there's a moment where, uh, when I was watching Abbott and Costello this time, because now again, it's been 40 years since I've seen this movie, and early on, Lou bumps into a woman who's wearing a little fur stole, and he looks at the first stole and he goes, and I just went, oh, my God, that's in Young Frankenstein. I was writing things down 
uh, the knockers, of course. Um, and <laughs> but but the wall bit, which is done very well in in Abbott and Costello. So you know the the scene at the beginning where Bud goes out, Bud comes back. The monster's never around when when Bud comes back. The first scene in the movie where when uh, where they do that, not done very well. But later on the timing of the scene where they're going around the wall and Bud never meets the monsters as as the wall is swinging around in the dungeon <laughs> area, much better done, much better paced. Uh, but obviously, well, I don't know. The swinging wall is, is everywhere, but I, you know, when I was watching uh, Abbott and Costello today, I, I thought, Oh my God, I have to write that down. That was the, that clearly had to have been one of the, the, the uh, influences on on the bookcase swinging around and put the candle back. I mean, one of my favorite dumb lines in the whole thing is just you know the the horrible sound and then I want you to listen very carefully. <laughs> the specificity of that scene is what really gets me, which is like, do not put the candle back. Now I want you to, and it has like three or four beats, and it's yeah. just great. It doesn't it doesn't go on too long. It's just yeah. right, even yep. though it's kind of an extended set of beats. You push. On the door as hard as you can, like, and it's just like it. It, it actually makes sense. But they solve the problem. But he it's never also panics. very funny because you know that he is squished on the other side of the. Mm-hmm. It's so, like, like Jason, uh, I've never been much for Mel Brooks, but I feel like here uh, there's a tempering uh, effect from what Gene Wilder's bringing to the table. At least I assume yes. so because yes. this, this is a fully Mel Brooksized uh, production. I will say that the comedy is a little hit and miss for me. Yep. Um, there's there are some absurdly long setups for what turn out to be sort of ultimately weak punchlines, which feel very <laughs> yep. Mel Brooksian sure. to me. Like sure. the the kneeing the old man in the groin bit at the beginning takes forever to unfold, yes. and you can see what's coming from a mile away. When it does come, it's like eh, really. And then things like assuming that I'm too dumb to get the joke, like you know Marty Feldman mugging at the audience, saying quiet dignity and grace. And oh yeah, yeah that 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 I hated. That, right, that, that was a step like, too was, far. That was too but, much. Yeah, but yes. damn your eyes to camera too late. That's good. That is great. Yeah, there are good bits there. It's just that you know if when the joke is already so obvious and then you got to point it out, that's that's just irritating. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. like as Jason noticed, there are, there are long periods where they're just doing the monster movie without any jokes. They're doing the monster movie fantastically well, so it's not something that I mind. But it's there. There are long stretches where mm-hmm. there just isn't comedy. Um, but then there are some some bits that are just wonderfully funny. Like I love the pan down the row of heads to get to Igor. Oh, <laughs> yeah, sings just great. a gigolo. Yeah. Um, the blonde girl getting flung from the seesaw through the second story window and into bed <laughs> delights me to no end. <laughs> Uh, obviously, the 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 putting on the Ritz number is oh. hysterically funny. Well, why why do you think they went with that? I've always wondered. <laughs> why not? Yeah, sure. Well, because I, I I love the idea of you know a sophisticated man about town. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that is like the ultimate man about town kind of song. Well, and it's it, I think it's just because that scene is sort of like it's almost like the King Kong. Uh, introduction to the yeah. audience scene. Where oh yeah, no, it's, it, it's, it's totally that. Where why why are we having a show where we just come and stare at a monster? <laughs> monster, yeah. But that's the thing is those those scenes are always staged like they're it's going to be a song and dance show. You know. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. So and and you could do something like Top Hat. Maybe Top Hat is a more appropriate song dramaturgically, but it's not as funny because yeah. you're leading with the name of the song. Whereas this, it's like you know, building and building and building and getting to. 
the laugh, on me. The, right? The one, the laugh and line that keeps coming back. The time, the timing is right. Funny. Yeah. And then, of course, every second Gene Hackman is on the screen, but especially oh, yeah. cigars. I put it to you that the two funniest scenes in Mel Brooks movies in history are the springtime for Hitler number from the producers and uh, Gene Hackman is the blind man in uh, Young Frankenstein, which is a, a lift from uh, Bride of Frankenstein, if I, if I remember yes. correctly, because they have the blind man in that one. This was apparently Gene Hackman's first comedic performance, and a few years yeah. later, he's Lex Luthor in Superman. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, well, and this must have blown people's minds at the time. Like, wait, is that Gene? That's Popeye Doyle. The heavy <laughs> yeah. lifting in that in that scene is all Peter Boyle because yeah. he's doing the, His the expression when they do the uh, toast and the glasses break is <laughs> oh man that yeah. scene is is tremendously funny and it's almost impossible to describe it on a yeah. podcast because there's no there are no witticisms there's there are no lines in it that you know uh, Jason talking about teenage boys quoting all the lines to him mm-hmm. I was a teenage boy when this came out and all of my friends quoted the the lines of this but nobody did that bit because it it was just physical humor how do you do it and the only the only line you could do is i was gonna make a special (laughs) yeah that's that's the only one which i have heard quoted many times (laughs) my my mother's rule for a good movie was that you couldn't watch it without sound or you couldn't watch it without the visual and have it make sense and this is a scene where you absolutely need both the sound and, and the dialogue, but you need to see those reactions. Without ever having seen this movie, I've been saying cigars at moments of celebration cigars? since since probably 1995. Yeah. Uh, I'll point out that our previous old movie club included The Conversation, another film from 1974 that also <laughs> featured both Gene Hackman and Terry Gar. I was thinking we're and having, it's hilarious. Oh, we're having oh. a, a film festival. Oh, it's so <laughs> wacky. <laughs> oh, like Steve, I think there are some there are some jokes that don't work for me. There are some jokes that are the setup is way too long for what we get. I do think that there you can see knowing it, you can really see the sort of push and pull between what Gene Wilder wants to do, which honestly would probably have been not a not funny movie, yeah, uh, a, a a a weird and sweet movie but maybe not quite as funny and that you bring in Mel Brooks and he kind of barrels in and he's like, ah, we got to put some more jokes in this. And some of those jokes work and some of those jokes, I'm like, maybe not so much. Cause yeah, all, all the other movies that Gene Wilder wrote are pleasant. Well, yeah, yeah I, I could see his sensibility yeah. coming through here. And I think it actually works to, um, to pit him against Mel Brooks in a way and have them like have <laughs> yes. to have to yeah. temper each other a little bit. And you end up with this thing that I think, I think the when this movie works like the Abbott and Costello movie, it's because it is both because it is doing silly jokes at every point, but also it knows all the points. And like we talk about genre movies a lot on this podcast, like, You've got to have the angry mob, right? And then you can do jokes with the angry mob. In this case, the angry mob shows up and the Frankenstein stands up and explains to them why they shouldn't revolt and it's all fine. And they're like, okay, and they leave, right? Like, <laughs> I love that. That's that's all good. But you got to have you got to have the understanding of what this kind of movie is. And the fact that it seems to love its source material to the point where it really wants to look and feel like it. Um, I think makes all the difference as with Abbott and Costello. I mean, again, totally different movies, but it's the same kind of idea of like, they took it seriously enough. And, and I appreciate that, that, it, that they, they care and they, they like, they're making references to the old movies. Like clearly this is done with love 
and then they put the jokes on top. That's that's the thing that makes this movie um, better for me than I expected. Yeah, I think it's not a it's not a coincidence that everyone's favorite Mel Brooks movies are the producers and this movie, and the two things that they have in common are Gene uh, Gene Wilder and not Mel Brooks in yep. the cast. My favorite Mel Brooks movie is History of the World Part 1, and I'm not going to apologize for it. You're an wow. awful person. Sure am. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy very much that the premise of this movie and the premise of Abbott and Costello, where they get the metatextual satire thing right, um, where they're more heavily going on the satire side of things with, with Young Frankenstein. With Abbott and Costello, it's, uh, what do we own? Let's put it all in a bowl. Um, both movies, even though they have very different approaches, it's not that they had an idea for two or three bits. It's that maybe it started with an idea for two or three bits, but in terms of the planning, it really, both of them earn the entire runtime. There isn't a, okay, yeah, go just check out at the beginning of the third act or the third act is the only thing worth watching. Neither one of these movies are movies that work well seen as clips um, in the way that I, I think comedic satire moved at a certain point where it was it was here how do we do the zucker brothers spoof movie thing um mm-hmm. and just you know come up with a list of 12 jokes and string them together and make a movie out of them that isn't to say that i dislike all the zucker movies but some of the zucker movies work really well i like top secret because it totally yeah. knows what what an elvis movie is exactly a, a lot of that problem <laughs> is mel brooks's fault uh-huh. like this is a good parody robin hood men in tights is, is a terrible not. parody. No. <laughs> oh, God. So, as a, a, a newcomer to Young Frankenstein, <laughs> I'm just going to say, um, I, I mentioned Ghostbusters before, and I'm going to mention it again now because I feel like I, I didn't understand the similarity between those two movies, and now I do in the sense that they are both attempting, I think, to do very similar things, which is tell a make a movie that is in the genre but have it be funny. And both of these movies try to do that to a certain degree. And I didn't realize how much they tried to do that. And so I didn't realize the connection there. I think Ghostbusters is far more successful at being funny and being in a genre than Young Frankenstein is. But I see the... I Like, I, I, I'm never going to say... Watch Ghostbusters like, again. It's got no jokes. Mm, it's and yet it's funnier than Young Frankenstein, Monty. Ooh. No, no, no. So again, okay. No. So I'm just gonna say it. People love this movie. I thought this movie was fine. That's my one word review too. I didn't hate it, which honestly is better than expected. <laughs> Look, but I, I think I am it's thrilled. Fine. I am thrilled that you got through not hating this movie because I I did not expect that reaction from you. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's way better than I thought it was. Having seen other Mel Brooks movies, um, <laughs> I just don't. Again, I don't get the adulation for it. I don't get why people quoted it on the playground or whatever. Um, I, I think it's okay. I think you're just I, traumatized by the fact that they quoted it to you on the playground. No, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they spoiled all the good jokes, and now yeah. I can't recognize oh, yeah. them as jokes. Schwanstucker. It's a hilarious word. It's almost as good as futterwhacking. <laughs> that, that's all you're going to get is me damning it with faint praise, which is... Hooray! It, it's, it's, a it's victory not, in our time. I, I feared watching it because I thought I would hate it as much as I hated Blazing Saddles, and I don't. It's actually a good movie that is better than I expected. The, but see, now, comedy and horror... Both work on surprise, and 
if you've had all the jokes spoiled for you, even if they're funny jokes, even if they were, you know, brilliantly told by teenagers, you have the lines. <laughs> There's nothing surprising you. And the things like the Gene Hackman scene, they couldn't have done that. So, you know. Indeed. You, you, need, you would need a, a, a kettle of soup to do that justice. Yeah. So, no, what, what kid yeah. has a kettle of soup at the ready to do <laughs> yeah, that? Exactly. And a ladle. There's definitely some truth to the element of surprise, but there are comedies that I've seen hundreds of times know the scripts yeah. back and forth, yeah. and I still think they're uproariously funny. Well, look, I, and there are lots of bits here, including many of the things that were quoted at me endlessly yeah. as a youth that were not funny then, and they aren't funny now. But, yeah. but it's also when you see those things that are still funny to you, you're still remembering the first time you saw them. Yeah. They, were, they were so funny right I'll tell you. I'll tell you, actually, some of the things that I got quoted to me I don't think are funny, but I think are better now that I know the context. Not funny, but good. Like sure. Frankenstein is because he's trying to escape his past. That's why it's it's funny or clever, is that this guy is desperately trying, in not very well, to hide his history. And when Igor says Igor, and the way that he phrases it, it's way funnier when you realize he is mocking him, mocking Frankenstein for changing the pronunciation of his name. <laughs> and then they go with just, it for the no, rest of the movie. No, Igor, blah, which is how kids on the playground would quote it. I'm like, oh, this movie is much more sophisticated than the movie I had in my head. And I appreciate that about it. But yes, Steve, I, I same. I, I think there's a bunch of jokes in here that I'm like, okay, that was it. That was it. You know, all right. One one word review was also fine, actually. <laughs> all right, verbatim. Um, now that said, I I went in expecting like you to absolutely hate this yep. thing, and yep. the fact that it even it even made it to a fine level with me, and may someday actually extend higher than that. I don't know. I don't know how many better times than I'll watch fine, it Rave Steve. <laughs> possibly better than fine in the <laughs> future. someday not okay, be fine plus. That's, I that's did huge, not completely though. hate it. Rave that's, Jason Snell. See, Steve, I would have thought that the final joke being about uh, an enormous Schwanzkoker. Right. You shouldn't underestimate that that going from I will hate this to oh, that was fine and had some good bits is pretty big. So. Yeah, no, no. Steve and I took a journey, I guess is what yes. we're both saying, and we ended up in a better place than oh. above water, which is like, Jason, it's good. Jason, Steve, this was very big of you. Thank you for not <laughs> hating the movies. Well, and I will say it's it's wonderfully well made. That, it that is, I will give it. It's, it's so well made. I, I was so yeah. impressed. When by I suggested how Young Frankenstein to Jason, I did it with the trepidation of a parent serving a child a plate of food that I think they're going to throw it back at me. Mm-hmm. And Jason chatted down and said, mm, that's okay. And I'm all, oh, thank God. That's my reaction. Well, there's a sensibility about 80s comedies, which is, which is you know, Jason's sweet spot. Yep. Um, because, because of his age. Uh, that's, a very, that's very different from this movie. And mm-hmm. this movie, even though made, you know, only five, six years before the 80s, has a sensibility that's older than than 1974 for sure and so there's there's a bigger generation gap t- to that there's a there's a big difference between a ghostbusters movie in sensibility and this movie no, this movie's and, more and, close much more closely aligned to abbott and costello yeah honestly like i said there's vaudeville yes. jokes yeah, in this, it is. not in abbott and costello yeah, for sure there are and and uh, you know to steve's point yes there are uh, you know i can watch monty python and the holy grail right now and I will still laugh at mm-hmm. almost everything. Uh, 
and, and the parts that don't work are still are the ones that didn't work for me yeah. when I was 16 years old <laughs> yep. uh, for the most part. <laughs> this this movie was a little bit different. I mean, I remember enjoying it more when I was 14 and saw it than than I did uh, 3 days ago when I saw it. And there are a lot there are lots of things in here that don't quite work. And and it's usually because it's it is so heavy-handed. Uh, in in places, but the bits that are good and ones that I do remember, I, I think I will. And everything that K- Kenneth Mars uh, does in this movie, I find hilarious. Whether he's talking or just doing the bits of business with his with his arm, everything, the, the monocle over his eye patch. I mean, <laughs> th- this is not this is not what you would call a subtle movie. Neither of these movies are what you would call sophisticated comedy. But but there are little things in there that I love and have always loved, and I think always will love. Cloris Leachman um, telling them to be to stay close and stay close to the candles when the candles are not lit as, the, as they go up the dangerous staircase. I there, I don't know why it's not a laugh out loud thing, but I love that part. Uh, and, and of course, everything in the in the Gene Hackman scene. I, I there's I don't find anything wrong with that. Oh, and the other thing is. Even before the little girl is shot off uh, into her bed, which is, you know, a, a wonderful ending to that scene. Um, there's there's the part before that where she, you know where they're done throwing the flowers <laughs> into the well, and she says, "Now what can we throw in?" And there's just the, you know just the cut oh, to, right. to Peter Boyle's face, and he <laughs> and breaks the fourth wall. Such a classic scene, right? That 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 we know we know how that scene goes, right? Oh yeah, makes you, it you, so brilliant. All, the whole yeah. as soon as he shows up, as soon as you see her mm. singing and throwing yes. things. Oh, oh, here's where. Th- oh, here's where this. Yeah. How are they going to do this? Oh, what are they going to do? And then you know the cut the cut to peter boyle's face which very much like you know all of his expressions in the gene hackman scene where he he just does everything um with with his face it's just it's wonderful it's just wonderful by the way i should say uh you know you meant you mentioned that uh gene hackman had never done comedy before i don't think peter boyle had ever done comedy before certainly he was known for Joe what, is like hilarious. Joe, Joe, yeah, <laughs> yes, that's 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 right. Laugh out loud, Joe. funny. Oh. <laughs> Friends of Eddie Coyle, but was that before this, or I think that was before this? Yeah, right? yeah, it was. I think so. Yeah. so this, I I think, was a, a revelation to people at the time. Anyway, now you know people know that he can be funny yeah. so i you know you come to it now it's not as big a deal. The makeup on Peter Boyle is tremendous because. They couldn't, I guess, do the strict universal flat-headed Frankenstein monster, but it's inhuman well, they also enough wanted it to be recognizably him. It, it it definitely looks like Peter Boyle. There's enough room for him to do facial expression. He can yeah. be the the <laughs> at first, and then by the end, he's very sophisticated. But they they um so carefully placed, like the zipper on his neck is so great because you every now and then you it's just in a shot and you're like right zipper on his neck good like it's just great very nice very well done there there's so many nice subtle moments you know again a mel brooks film where you're talking about subtle moments but you know it's one weird. of my favorite running jokes is uh igor's hump switching from side to side not because it's switching from side to side and not because of anything marty feldman does but because of gene trying to react and being like well well i i can't say anything about 
and then they just keep going. And it's just this very little grace note in each one of those scenes. According to IMDb trivia, Marty Feldman was doing that already before anybody noticed, and then they wrote it into the movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I think we should say a few uh, words about Cloris Leachman. Yes. So, uh, who's so outstanding. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, the, the Ovaltine line always slays me. Ovaltine? Ovaltine? Good night. He fussed my boyfriend. Yeah, that's a To me, still still the best one. They're doing it again, Steve. They're doing it again. They're doing this movie. Yes! Playground all over again. Could be worse. It could be raining, Jason. (laughs) I I did want to say, uh, Dr. Drong, that um, your point about uh, 80s comedies having informed our sort of sensibilities is very well taken because there were a lot of places in this movie where I felt like Airplane ruined it for me. Because there were long sequences where... Hey, there should be a joke there. Hey, yeah. there should be a joke there. Yeah. Hey, there should be a joke there. I could I could very easily come up with a joke there. Everybody it, was it, shouting earlier, so but I mentioned this is why we ended up in the great comedy shortage of the early 70s. This is how, why Zucker Abrams and Zucker were created was to fill the comedy <laughs> shortage with the every page must have right. five jokes on it thing. And you know, I, I don't think this movie needs that. Uh, but it, it definitely also doesn't have that. So it's it's a different kind of movie. And I think that was Dr. Uh, Dr. Drong's point was uh, that it's it's a different kind of movie. It oh, no, absolutely. We were slower absolutely. back then. I'm just saying my, my personal reaction to it was definitely colored by that. Yeah, for sure. By, by, by the long sequences where they're doing a monster movie and then like I'm like, well, where's the jokes? Come on, where's the jokes? And it, it, it took me a while, you know, to, to, to kind of calm down with that. And that's this just this isn't this isn't airplane. This isn't a Zucker a Zucker joint. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean that's certainly some of some of, of my reaction to this was was absolutely colored by eighties comedies. And and as much as I love Airplane and Top Secret and Police Squad, I I kinda hate what they did or how they inspired the films that came afterwards because it is frenetic. It is too many jokes. It's like well, the, vo- the movies that came after replaced jokes with references. Yes, yeah. and that if, too, yeah. right? That too. Uh, so Monty earlier mentioned that you know that Ghostbusters doesn't have a lot of jokes in it either, and he's absolutely right. But what I was getting at when me- when mentioning Ghostbusters is more that it's a movie with funny stuff in it, but also. It is trying to be. That's the thing. I always Ghostbusters always gets referred to as a comedy, and it's like it's it's a funny horror it's an sci-fi 80s movie. Movie, right? It, it's it, it is it is the in the genre, and then there's a level of detachment and jokes. But it's in the genre, and that's the thing that I think it does have in common with these uh, these two movies is exactly that, which is. And, and, you know, everybody gets to have their own preference, but I really like it when somebody with a sense of humor also really wants to honor a genre and, and shows love for it while also trying to be funny. I think that's the right way to do it. And that there are lots of movies that, that Phil mentioned funny Westerns. Like, there are so many movies that don't understand or respect the genres, and those movies generally are not very good. And even when they're funny, they're often kind of, unpleasant and crass and uh you know and uh, and just not not good even if they've got some good jokes in them and one that is absolutely unwatchable dracula dead and loving Uh, see yeah and space balls i can't i hate space balls now love at first bite that's a good movie (laughs) guys right none of the jokes in this movie are 
are saying how dumb these monster movies were. Right. It was like right. these these are these are tropes of these movies. I don't find them dumb, but isn't it kind of funny how they always did this and this and this? Yeah, except a lot Walk of the jokes way. are really separate from the monster movie part. Well, that's I mean, true. They're not, they're not. I mean, they're character jokes like the hump thing or anything to do with Frau Blucher. Uh, <laughs> there are certainly good. Uh, there are certainly genre related jokes, but most of the the jokes that have to do with the genre are are bigger setups, right? They're they're longer. They're they're trope right. jokes, but but the character jokes, which which I really enjoy because I like all the characters. I think even if an individual joke doesn't quite land because it's delivered so well and because the characters are so good, the actors are so good. I I love all of it. Yeah, like when they're about to electrocute Peter Boyle, you get these glamour shots of the lab, which I love the lab so much. Mm. <laughs> I, I miss the spinning ammo box that I felt should have been there. <laughs> but the joke is how quickly Marty Feldman gets down to the uh, floor from the tower. That's not a joke about what they're doing at right. all. And that is pure Muppet logic. I mean, that yeah. is a joke you would see in a Muppet movie. When Shelley mentioned the um, the the jokes that are about the genre, and, and those are the ones that I like the best, and I, I do I do really enjoy those. Um, I mentioned the mob with the torches that comes in and is reasoned with by the monster, and they're like, okay, it's fine. Uh, there's also the scene where Kenneth Mars comes to the mansion and needs the reassur- reassurance of Gene Wilder that like you're not gonna do any monster stuff, right? There's not gonna be a monster who That's rampages, right, and he's cat. like, no, 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 it's gonna be fine. What was that? Hmm, that was me. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and like again, I love that because why didn't they think about that? Why didn't they do that thing? What you apply a little bit of logic to it and you do it with kind of love and and those the those are the bits that I work for me. One of the weaknesses of some of the those original horror movies is that the people who aren't involved in the monster either the monsters or the henchmen of the monster keepers are always terrible. There's the innocent <laughs> young couple. Yeah. Uh, the the all the women are disposable in those sure. movies, li- quite literally. And in in this movie, they just turned everybody up to eleven and made them an individual character. And I think that's what I enjoy because they put them. There's no reason you couldn't have people of that quality and that variety in a movie like that. But instead, they hired the most boring actors possible and put them in those old monster mm-hmm. movies. Yeah, like Madeline Kahn. Is barely in the movie. She's yeah. oh, she's underused and she's yeah. just she's terrific. She's amazing. And she's not even a character that you're meant to really like or remember. But at the end, she gets a couple of great scenes. But yeah, you see her at first. You see her and you go, okay, well, this is going to be great because she's going to be the female lead through the rest of the movie. And she's obviously not. And again, one of those one of those trope jokes of an old film when they they have their parting on the on the train station platform and the train pulls away and the steam and the smoke and and she's still standing going goodbye (coughs) yeah Yeah, right (coughs) and it just keeps going right out of um right out of another movie in a different genre but such a wonderful thing with it you know don't touch and not my nails and not my hair and not my lips and none of that that's just all so good and then they bring her back around and 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 it is a knowing thing to bring her back because she she comes back around and you think it's going to be the well you know because for a moment it's like oh uh-oh, well i was you know it's, it's a I'm naked farce. i'm naked with terry gar and now your fiance is here but in the end madeline khan is there for the monster and that is such a great twist right on on the story that that uh, that Gene Wilder ends up with Terry Gar and Madeline Kahn gets to end up with Peter Boyle as the monster living in a urbane life in New York City. That's but I love it because good. it's such economical storytelling. Yeah. Because in, if it were actually a, a movie of a different genre that were doing that, you'd have to go through all sorts of gyrations to explain why that makes sense. 
Yeah. But you don't nope. in this case. Oh, and then also, what I love about when when we finally see there Peter were a Boyle few gyrations. In, when we fi- finally, yeah, well, that's true. So that's, that's, quick that's, ones. Yeah. <laughs> when she, when you finally see Peter Boyle and, and uh, Madeline Kahn together, I just like that his his normal speaking voice is so soft and so yeah. completely utter. It's a real surprise. Like if you haven't thought about P- what Peter Boyle speaks like. And you've heard him the whole movie. Yeah. And then not only is he like in bed and wearing glasses and reading, he just talks really quietly. And it's hilarious. Reading the journal. Yep. That's yep. <laughs> great. Uh, Young Frankenstein was made into a Broadway musical that had its out-of-town tryouts here in Seattle. And I went to mm. it. So I got to see Megan Mullally as... Um, as Madeline Kahn. Madeline Kahn, yeah. And my report is that the sets were amazing. There were these giant... <laughs> Tesla coils on stage. Yeah. And also that it was a pretty bad musical. Like they had an entire musical number on the roll in the hay line, which isn't a funny joke, mm. let alone a song. <laughs> Although considering considering the Tesla coils, this is one musical you could go out humming the set. It I did. <laughs> yeah. We still talk about it. As in, I'm gonna go watch Young Frankenstein. Oh. <laughs> oh, the sets on that musical were great. <laughs> Well, Phil, how'd we do? I think we did great, Jason. I'm I'm so glad you found uh, Young Frankenstein to be adequate. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. you're welcome. And now that you've spent the entire night in my haunted house, I guess you inherit it. Oh boy! Uh-huh. Oh, uh, you were the, you were the old man all along. I didn't know. Yeah, it's true. Uh, well, let me thank my uh, panelists as well for being here. Of course, thanks to to Phil for picking the movie and giving me my my meatloaf that I didn't throw back in his face. So thank you, Phil. Uh, Steve Lutz, thanks for being with me on the I thought I was going to hate it train. And uh, you, it made me feel like if I'm the monster here, you're also the monster here. So thank you. Thank you, Jason. Despite my trepidation about the films, this was super duper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shelly Brisbane, thank you. Thank you for putting on the Ritz with us mm. this evening. Monty Ashley, thank you. How did Peter Boyle light those cigarettes, though? <laughs> Fire, mm. bad, like I said earlier. Used yeah, a, tying it a car cigarette lighter. Well, now the movie's ruined. David J. Lore, thank you. Oh, sweet mystery of life, at last I found you. Dr. Drang. Taffeta, darling. <laughs> Wrinkles very easily. <laughs> like me. And Moises Trion, thank you. Fine, Jason, go back to your island with the Frankensteins you love. Mm. <laughs> and uh, thank you to everybody out there. We hope you had a spooky Halloween or whatever, because uh, we watch Frankensteins. And we'll be back next week with something completely different. Until then, goodbye. Ooh, ooh, ooh.